0: The views and opinions expressed on my story living with lupus podcast are each individual's experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. Welcome back to another episode of My Story, Living with Lupus. I'm your host, Susan Hendricks. And today, we'll continue our Part 2 discussion on the opioid epidemic and the high rate of opioid use among SLE patients. So stay tuned. (music) U.S. News, January 17, 2019, states... Opioid Prescription Rates Higher in Rural Counties Opioid prescribing rates among primary care providers are significantly higher in rural U.S. counties than their more populated counterparts. A new report from the CDC and Prevention shows for the studies researchers analyzed de-identified opioid prescription data for more than 30,000 primary care providers. The information covered January 2014 to March 2017 and was obtained from electronic health record vendor Athena Health. To compare trends by population density, researchers stratified the data by providers, counties, into six urban, rural categories, ranging from most to least densely populated. While all areas experienced substantial decreases in prescribing, over the time period, The analysis revealed that patients in the most rural counties had an 87% higher chance of receiving an opioid prescription than those living in most urban counties. As less densely populated areas appeared to indicate both substantial progress in decreasing opioid prescribing and ongoing need for reduction, community healthcare practices and intervention programs must continue to be tailored to community characteristics, the study author stated. The authors noted more rural counties tend to have older populations that have more conditions associated with pain, which may play a role in higher prescribing rates, among other possible factors. More than 191 million opioid prescriptions were dispensed to patients in the U.S. in 2017, according to the CDC. Of more than 70,000 Fatal drug overdoses that year, prescription opioids were involved in approximately 17,000. I don't know if some of you heard yesterday on the news, the maker of OxyContin, there was a court filing yesterday stating that OxyContin maker forecasts blizzard of prescriptions. A member of the family that owns OxyContin maker Purdue Pharma told people at the Prescription Opioid Painkillers Launch Party in the 1990s that it would be followed by a blizzard of prescriptions that will bury the competition, according to court documents filed Tuesday. The details were made public in a case brought by Massachusetts Attorney General. Its executives and members of the Sackler family of deceiving patients and doctors about the risks of opioids and pushing prescribers to keep patients on the drug longer. The documents provide information about former Purdue Farmer, President Richard Sackler's role in overseeing sales of Oxycontin that hasn't been public before. The drug and the closely held Connecticut company that sells it are at the center of a lawsuit in Massachusetts and hundreds of others across the country in which government entities are trying to find the drug industry responsible for an opioid crisis that killed 72,000 Americans in 2017. The Massachusetts litigation is separate from the 1,500 Federal lawsuits filed by governments being overseen by a judge in Cleveland. But the company documents at the heart of the Massachusetts allegations are also part of the evidence exchange in those cases. While the Massachusetts filing describes their contents, The documents themselves have not been made public at the company's request. If you would like to appear on an episode of My Story Living with Lupus, you can contact us at mystorylivingwithlupus at gmail.com. Also visit us on our Instagram page, and also our website, My Story Living with Lupus.
1: A new study finds African American patients are often treated differently when it comes to medicine and care. The survey of more than 500 people 400 of the medical students found implicit bias exists that may help explain why black people are sometimes undertreated for pain among its findings medical students believed that african-americans felt less pain than white patients and even thought their skin was thicker for more on this perplexing discovery we turn to dr david satin of the university of minnesota medical center and dorothy roberts of the university of pennsylvania thank you both for joining us dr satin Try to describe this disparity for me. Why does this exist and is it
2: new? So, Gwen, we, we've known that this has been an issue for uh, at least a couple decades. Uh, and every now and then a study comes out that underscores the need for the field of medicine and, in particular, medical education to do some work and get it right. So, this is a problem and it's been a problem, and hopefully, this study will spur on more activity.
1: Dorothy Roberts, is this a a medical
3: problem or a sociological problem? It's both. I think what's really important and fascinating about this study is that it, for the first time, links what we've long known as under treatment of pain for Black patients with doctors, or at least medical students, false beliefs about biological differences based on race. And those beliefs, as the study shown, are widely held by lay people as well. They're deeply embedded, long-standing myths about racial difference, especially biological differences between races, which goes back to the very concept that race is a biological difference. That is widespread in U.S. society, so it's sociological as well as medical.
1: Doctor Satin, I have to say, the thing that surprised me the most was that medical students would think this way as well as lay people. So, are they being taught this? Is this something they just bring with them
2: unfortunately it's both so medical students doctors are people too we live in society and we're exposed to the same decade-after-decade experiences that determine our beliefs Uh, however uh, one of the things one of the medical students pointed out to me this morning is that some of these false beliefs seem to peak in second year uh, the second year of medical school as students prepare for the boards and have been memorizing these associations to answer on the uh, on the board exams,
1: this is a uh, a taught uh, behavior or action. This is a conscious stereotype as well as a subconscious one.
3: Absolutely, it's deeply rooted and fundamental to the way medical education works in the United States. Students are taught to notice the race of their patients to treat their patients differently because of race and they're taught that that's because of fundamental biological differences between people of different races so while this is in part based on myths and stereotypes that are widely held in u.s. society it's also based on the way students are taught to treat patients in medical schools it requires a radical change in medical education mm-hmm. to address this not only addressing implicit bias but also changing the way in which human beings are treated and differences are considered in mm-hmm. medical education
1: uh, Dr. david satin there are actually to be fair race, uh... not specific exactly conditions but medicines and conditions which are more likely to affect one race or the other?
2: Those are controversial. Uh, We know that race is actually a socially constructed uh, concept. It's not biological nor is it genetic, as we learned from the Human Genome Project. And so while there are some associations, those are largely due to social effects. Uh, How we're raised, uh, often ethnicity, plays a factor, but they are not biological effects. But
1: environmental effects, perhaps?
3: Well, I think what's really important for medical students to understand and for their teachers to teach them is the difference between health outcomes, disparate health outcomes, uh, and the idea that they're caused by innate biological difference, which is false, versus how racism does affect health based on social inequality not because of innate biological or genetic differences between the races and this study points out how dangerous it is to continue to teach medical students that race is a biological category that produces these differences in health or experience of pain based on biological differences between the races well let me ask you both this was not a huge study this is
1: four or five hundred people but what is your thinking i'll start with you david satin on what the consequences are of these beliefs and what should be done about it
2: so the consequences of the beliefs we saw in the study is uh, part of what results in unequal treatment it's part of what results in health disparities um, there's certainly enough blame to go around for how those result but it's a component and what it teaches us is that we need to be proactive i teach the medical students look it's it's not your it's not your fault that you have these implicit biases you grew up in society we all have these but now that you know it's your responsibility and we have some interventions to try to reverse that
3: but it already also requires a fundamental change in the way in which medical education works moving away from teaching students that the races are different because of some kind of innate biological difference that then causes health disparities and instead showing how racism and other structural inequities cause health disparities and and explore with students how medical practice can address those.
1: Dorothy Roberts of the University of Pennsylvania and Dr. David Satin of the University of Minnesota Medical Center. Thank you both very much.
0: You've just completed listening to an interview conducted by Gwen Eiffel for a PBS News Hour regarding the racial bias, or shall we say myth, of treatment within the medical community for individuals with chronic pain. I want you to listen to it again. Call in or email me with your thoughts on this. I had a friend that called me um, last night and told me that she had to go to the emergency room due to pain from lupus. She said she was in so much pain that she told her husband to take her to the ER. And she said when she arrived to the ER. She went through all of the formalities, and she said the resident or doctor, whoever she's seen, acted like they did not believe what she was stating. And she said, Susan, guess how many pain pills they gave me? I said, between three and four, she said three. And she said, I can't see my doctor till next week. And she said, I can't believe that they only gave me three. I told her that there is a myth that has been taught to residents and to some, I say some, physicians that we don't experience pain like others based on the color of our skin." And she said, treatment should be treatment across the board, regardless of the color of your skin. I said, that's true. And I told her, I said, I want you to listen to my broadcast on Friday, and then you can understand more And she said, you're not going to tell me. I said, I tell you this. I said, there is a myth and a misconception that we come into the ER on two bases. Either we are addicted to whatever pain pills they're giving us. Two, that we are going to sell them on the street for cash. And she said, you're joking. I said, no, I'm not joking. She said that that is so crazy. I said, not for the medical community, it's not. I said, they're teaching them this. I said, they are giving them false myths about us. And when I say us, the African-American community, she said, so we are being treated based on the color of our skin. I said, your care depends, it's sad to say, which is based off the color of your skin and what has been taught to some. I said, so listen in, but for those of you who are listening, I'm not talking about the individuals who have chronic conditions or suffer with chronic pain or a chronic condition plus chronic pain. I want you to know what pain really is that we experience. And I'm speaking on my behalf. I can tell you about my pain. I was writing my thesis or dissertation, one or the other, and I had to get it in at a certain hour. Now, the stress was on me, and that in turn meant I went into a flare. I was working in the living room and I said, Oh God, I'm going into a flare. The pain started to hit. This pain, you would not want to put on your worst enemy. This pain had every organ in my body hurting. This pain had every joint hurting, this pain had me like I was going to lose my mind and I got to one point I said okay I'm going to have to let my professor know that I have lupus and the stress of me trying to get this work in has caused me to have a flare. So I emailed the professor, I informed him that I had lupus and the stress of me trying to get this work in has caused me to go into a flare and it looks like I'm not going to get it on time. He said that he understood and he told me to um, get it in by five o'clock in the morning. It was already one o'clock. So, I would type some, lay down, get up, type some more, lay down. This process went on. Finally got, got my work done five minutes to five in the morning. I uploaded it, and it started getting worse. And I lay back on the couch. And I said, oh, God, please ease the pain. That's all I'm asking you, to please ease the pain. Laid down for a minute. Had to go to the bathroom. I got up. I hit the floor. Could not move. I'm going to be honest with you. I wet on myself. And there on the floor I laid. Until the pain eased up. And some of you may say, that's crazy. Why would you put yourself through that? It may be crazy for some of you, but not for me. You have to know me to understand my determination not to allow this condition to get the best of me. You have to know me to understand, regardless of whatever I go through with this condition, I'm going to fight it to the end, and I will stay positive. Yes, lupus had knocked me down, but it took me a couple of days. I got back up again to fight another day. I'm not going to allow this illness to take me out on its own accord. I'm going to fight you to the deaths to live my life to the fullest. When we return, I'll be discussing opioid use and death in chronic pain patients with systemic lupus erythematosus. Introducing District 36 Luxe Eyelashes. Their lashes give you the most natural look and feel. District 36 Eyelashes offers an array individual lashes mink and human hair lashes their lash tech Yana is certified so you can go from barely there to the glam in you follow district 36 eyelashes on IG or visit their store at district 36 dot store envy dot com or contact Yana the lash tech at four zero four four nine oh three six four nine that's district thirty six Luxe Eyelashes entrepreneur, and creator of Right Side of 50, and I am my sister's keeper. Sheila Smith, motivational and empowerment speaker, is available for your next empowerment event and conference. You can book her for your next event at rightsideof50 at gmail.com. That's R-I-G-H-T-S-I-D-E-O-F-5-0 at gmail.com or call at 678-293-6821. Each one encourage one. The American College of Rheumatology performed a study, Opioid Use and Death in Chronic Pain Patients with Systemic Lupus erythematosus, better known as lupus. Chronic pain is one of the most common symptoms reported in patients with SLE. Treating pain in these individuals can be complex and difficult to manage and often require opioid therapy. The present research, to our knowledge, is the first investigation into the impact of opioid use in the management of patients with SLE and chronic pain. This prospective five-year longitudinal outcome study of 275 SLE patients at the University of New Mexico included 24% chronic opioid use and 76% no opioid use. Inclusion criteria were patients fulfilling ACR criteria for SLE aged 18 to 80. Patients diagnosed with any other autoimmune disease were excluded. Outcomes were determined at five years after enrollment in the study. Now, statistical differences were determined with student T-tests and categorical data with Fisher's exact method. Associations were determined initially with univariate regression analysis and then multivariate models were created to determine independent and dependent variables. No statistical significance was observed In age, age of onset, disease duration, race, family history of autoimmune disease, alcohol use, ANA titer, DSDNA titer, APL positivity, anti-ribosomal, P, RNP, Anti-Smith, R-O-S-S-A-L-A-S-S-B-S-C-I-70, Combs activity or chronic kidney disease or joint pain between opioid and non-opioid SLE groups. SLE patients that used opioids had a significantly higher rate of tobacco use and duration. Criteria average for SLE diagnosis. Average pain scores. Morning stiffness. S-L-I-C-C and SLEDAI indices, cocaine use, noncompliance, and total deaths. Logistic regression analysis predicting death revealed hazard ratios of 2.6 and 1.1 when comparing. Opioid use and total SLEDEI respectively and hazard ratios of two point five and one point one and one point six when comparing opioid use total SLEDAI and non compliance respectively. The marginal survival for SLE patients not taking opioids was 88% with 12% dead versus 65%, 35% dead patients taking opioids. The Kaplan-Meier survival curve revealed higher probability of survival for SLE patients that did not use opioids. This study indicates that opioid use in SLE is associated with higher mortality. Total SLE DAI, disease activity scores, increased cocaine use, and non-compliance. These data suggest the need for education and safe opioid prescribing strategies in SLE patients with chronic pain. Basically, What this research is stating that patients with SLE and chronic pain that are using opioid painkillers have a much higher rate of death and a much higher rate of going on to other substances such as cocaine use. If you would like to read further into this research, you can go to the American College of Rheumatology and read further on the opioid use and death in chronic pain patients with systemic lupus erythematosus. author of Positive Energy 24-7. You can purchase an autographed copy of his motivational book and you can also purchase the e-book version at writepath 247com That's w-r-i-t-e-p-a-t-h- 247.com. You can also follow him on Instagram at RightPath247. Abundant Harvest Aquaponics Planting seeds to grow food and creating opportunities for people and families. You can contact this nonprofit organization at www.abundantharvestaquaponics.org. The lupus community is trying to assist our lupus sister in finding a kidney donor. Her blood type is O positive you can email her at lupus at gmail.com or I am Tanisha Price at outlook.com that's I-A-M-T-A-N-I-S-H-A P-R-I-C-E at Outlook.com or you can call or text 678-822-7333 Won't you please join us in helping her find a kidney donor. Well, that's it for me for this Friday with my story, Living with Lupus. Um, I hope that you have found this informative. I hope that the general public will see and understand what we all go through living with this chronic disease and chronic pain. Uh, my daughter called me earlier this week. She stated that she was listening to my podcast in her office. And some of her colleagues had come in and were listening with her. And she, they asked her who was that that she was listening to. And she informed them that it was her mother her, and that I had lupus. And she's trying to bring further awareness to lupus, living with a chronic illness. So they went back and they subscribed to the podcast. And she received feedback from them stating that they didn't know that all of this goes on when a person has lupus. And several of them asked her to ask me, was the segment that I did with jazz going to be a permanent fixture? So I told her, I really don't know. And she told me that they liked it. And could I do it this week? So for your drive home tonight, You will be listening to the smooth sounds of jazz once again, per my daughter's colleague's request. So, stay tuned for that at 5 o'clock. Now, what I want you to do, I want you to give me your honest feedback on what you think about the interview that was done by... Gwen Eiffel for PBS NewsHour regarding the racial bias in treatment of patients. Also, give me your thoughts on the opioid use and death in chronic pain patients with systemic lupus. So, until then, I'm your host, Susan Hendricks, for my story, Living with Lupus. If you feel that you can't speak to anyone, remember there's help for you. Contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You're never alone. The views and opinions expressed on My Story Living with Lupus podcast are each individual's experience. By listening to this podcast or reading our blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. As always, consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having.